We're continuing in the Gospel of Mark, and if you would like to churn in your Bibles, if you brought them today in chapter 4, those at home that are listening at home, we're looking, as you just saw, those verses 21 to 34, and so we're continuing on. We've been doing this journey into the Gospel of Mark, and now I've got to get this off without losing my glasses and the microphone. Sorry, there we go. And uh, so we're looking today uh, at this, uh, another passage, right, that we had already looked at seeds, and we've kind of continuing on, and uh, I wanted us to start with this question today of unrealistic expectations. So what expectations do you have? Unrealistic expectations. I've shared this before, but I kind of learned the hard way that unrealistic expectations lead to frustrations. And so we can see that often we have expectations and they're not realistic and it can lead to a lot of frustrations. And so what was happening in Jesus' day, they had expectations of what the Messiah was supposed to do, what the Messiah was supposed to be like. And they had this vision that the Messiah would be external, this kingdom of God. It would be powerful, and there would be great military might, and he would finally overthrow the Romans, this tyranny, this empire. They also had the expectation it's going to happen yesterday. It's going to happen now. A-S-A-P, Lord. <laughs> that was their expectation. And so Jesus has been dealing with these parables. He's been dealing with their unrealistic expectations. And in these parables, Jesus is showing them and teaching them what the true kingdom of God is like. And it's not like what they would think. Actually, there are four parables in the Gospel of Mark. That is all. We had that one parable already about the condition of the soil right? The different sowing of the seeds and how it fell on different soil. We looked at that last week. And now we're looking at the other three parables that Jesus, I mean, that, that Jesus taught, that Mark includes in his gospel. There are actually 39 parables in the gospel, but Mark only chooses these four. And he has a very particular reason for choosing these four, because he's trying to teach them that this is not what you expect. The kingdom of God is not like you expect. And so the first thing he says to them that Bryce read for us, the kingdom of God is like a lamp. Verse 21 there. And he said to them, do not bring, don't you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Do you do that? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Somebody made the comment one time, uh, they're not the brightest bulb in the box. You've heard that. They're not the brightest light. They're not the brightest bulb in the box. Now, that's kind of derogative, isn't it? Very derogative. Basically, it's saying, you know, that person isn't so bright. Uh, they're not so smart. They're not so intelligent. And, and so, you know, that even though that statement is derogative, what we find out here that Jesus begins to teach that the kingdom of God is for all people. It's for everyone. Doesn't matter where you've gone to school. We're thankful for our, our, our uh, young people that are going off to university and we wish them much academic blessing. 
but there are some that ha aren't educated. There are some that have no access to education around the globe today. And so what's beautiful about this message is the light has come for all. Doesn't matter that it is for everyone. And so we see that the actual original language says the one who has come, the light who has come. It's not the typical way you would speak of light. So we know that Jesus now is speaking about himself. He is the light who has come. So Jesus, we know, is the light of the world. The Gospel of John tells us that, doesn't it? And so we need to look at, the, at God's scripture. When you look at a coin, there's two sides of a coin, and the truth today is that the two sides of the coin is used interchangeably in scripture is light and truth, and truth and light. And so Jesus is saying that he is the light he is the one who has come. He is the truth. Didn't he say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? He told us that. So he then goes on and uses this example of a simple lamp. And by the way, that picture up there of a clay lamp with a small wick and oil is what he would have been using in his day, what he would be referring to. Right now we see the lamp down in the dirt. And the reality is, if you keep a lamp down in the dirt, you don't get very much light. Where do you put a lamp? Well, our lights are hanging from where? The ceiling. You put your lamp fixtures up on the ceiling so it gives what? The most light. And Jesus is saying, a lamp, a light has been meant to shine. And so you put it up high on a stand for all to see. Last week, we realized that he talked about the different conditions of the soil. Here he's talking about something a little different. And so we looked at last week the conditions of the soil. We looked at the hearts that were hardened hearts, and the, and the light and the word was stolen. We looked at shallow hearts. Remember, they shriveled up, they starved. We looked at crowded hearts, and everything was choked out of the heart because of worries, because of desires for riches. And then we saw the good heart, the good soil, <clears throat> which was open. And that which was open brought forth a yield of 30 times and 60 times and 100 times. And see, God wants us to be people of the light. God wants us to be seekers of the truth. And as we say that we're seekers of the truth, we're saying we are seekers of Jesus. And I've been walking with the Lord now 36 plus years. And I can say to you that I don't know it all. No, no surprise at that. Ah, he didn't jump into that one, did he? And the truth of it is you don't know it all. We don't know it all. I, 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 have, I have experienced Christ, I have grown in my faith, but I am still a seeker of his truth. Every day I want to know more about him. I want to know more about the things of God. I want to know more and experience his kingdom. It doesn't matter how many years we've walked with the Lord. We need to be searching and growing and moving forward to all that he has for us. And so Jesus gives a little bit of a warning, doesn't he? He says there in uh, verses um, 20, what was it, 23? 
I'm just looking for it here. He says in 23 and 24, If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. So basically, he is saying that if you don't use it, you're going to lose it, right? And so this truth needs to be this journey of wanting more and receiving more. And so it has a lot to do with our attitude about the things of God. And are we skeptical? You know, do we have a bad attitude about the things of God? Do, do we say, well, I don't know if I really believe that. Well, sometimes we don't say it with our words, but we say it with our actions. And so Jesus is warning us, and Mark is using this in his gospel to warn that early church, that you want to stay in an attitude of wanting to receive, like we talked last week, about the different soils. If you reject the truth, you will remain in spiritual darkness. But the beauty of the passage today is that if you follow the light, Jesus Christ, you will find him. And you will find more and more of him if you follow the light. Look what he says in verse 25. To whoever has much, more shall be given. God is wanting to keep giving you more and more and more of himself. More and more and more of his truth. I mean, that's encouraging to me today. And so I love this story. It's a story that happened in Tanzania, Africa, in 1992. And Rob Moore was a missionary, and he was driving out in the bush in his four-wheel drive vehicle, and there was so much dust being uh, on the road, you know, he couldn't see just a few feet in front of him, and his African pastor was with him, and they were going, they were quite a long way from home, and they're going into the bush, and all of a sudden, because of the dust that they were kicking up, all of a sudden, they had a head-on collision with another truck. And so they had this collision, and Rob, this missionary, uh, were wearing their seatbelts, and so him and the African pastor was not seriously injured, but the five Africans in the other vehicle were. And so they went and got their first aid kit, and they went to go and help them. And, and as they began to look at their wounds and tried to help them, they realized that they weren't seriously injured. And so Rob, the missionary, and the African pastor started singing songs in Swahili, started giving God the praise that the, the accident wasn't as bad as they thought it could have been. Unbeknownst to this Rob, the missionary, out of the jungle walked three African men, and they were speaking Swahili to the pastor. See, uh, earlier, several months ago, they had, were convinced that there was only one God, and there was a good spirit. And so they had denounced their idolatry, and they had started this journey seeking for the truth. They had a dream that a white man would come and tell them the truth about this good spirit. And so Rob Moore and the African pastor began to share Jesus with these three leaders. Do you realize that the tow truck couldn't come for 48 hours? And so for 48 hours, they were able to share to them about Jesus, the light. And there was another 15 men in that tribesmen, in that little village that accepted Christ before the tow truck came. And so a church was planted 
in that moment, as these men were seeking and searching for the light, they gave that little church a name in Swahili. I can't say it in Swahili, but the actual name of that church in English is the Accident Baptist Church. But we know today it wasn't an accident. We know today it was God. It was God shining his light, and they were walking towards the light, and God was revealing himself to them. Then we see that Jesus moves on, and we're back again at the power of seeds. And so Jesus here begins to speak to them about the wheat seed again, and now the mustard seed. And we heard that in verses 26 to 32. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. The kids today, on some of their worksheets, they'll see a piece of tape. And on that piece of tape, I've put a couple little seeds for them to see how small a mustard seed really is. And the truth of it is, it's not like our mustard seeds, our little seeds are yellow, but the real seeds are an actual, what they call a black mustard seed. It's even smaller than that. And it was actually used for oil and, of course, the condiment of mustard. I I don't know how many of you here... (laughs) were raised uh, on a farm, right? Not me, no, a few of you, a few of you. See, in Jesus' day, like, like today, a lot of us, and we're used to it now, we go into the grocery store and we pick up our vegetables, right? Um, and, and it's just interesting because I've spoken to a few of our farmers who have said to me, nope, pastor, I'm busy all week long on the farm. The last thing I want to do is be out in the garden, they, they don't want to do a garden. We try to do a bit of gardening, and, uh, you know, but, but the truth of it is, in Jesus' day, that's what they did. Everything, <laughs> if they were going to eat, they had to grow it. So Jesus is now using an example of something that they would have had their hands on, would have dealt with, would have witnessed, and would have realized. And he says, it's a mystery, isn't it? Unlike the soils and the conditions of the soils, here Jesus is reminding them that it is a mystery. Oh, the farmer takes the seed and he sows it, but he doesn't know what happens with it. Now, some people can say that they've gone off to university to study agriculture, and they could probably tell us, well, I can tell you what happens now. Well, you still don't know why it happens, because it's God that does it. And so the farmer can only do his part. He, he doesn't understand it. He goes to bed, he gets up, he goes to bed, he gets up, he goes to bed, he gets up, and eventually there's a harvest there. Now, I know in today, modern farming, there's a lot more work than that. But Jesus is trying to make the point. We said it last time, right? You do the sowing, God will do the growing. And so we see 
that God is starting his kingdom. A simple seed, it goes silently in the ground, but in time a harvest comes from the seed. Look at Jesus who suffered a terrible death, someone said, on the cross between two thieves. Many had thought the movement had died with him, but the seed at the moment turned into the greatest movement in history. Now billions know his name and has produced a massive harvest of souls. Jesus then goes on and tells us that the kingdom is like what? A particular seed, the mustard seed, because it is seen as the smallest garden seed that they would have used in that day. God is saying to us through the mustard seed, don't despise small beginnings. Don't look down on small beginnings. Once there was a group of tourists visiting a city in Europe, One of the tourists asked the guide that was taking them around, were there any famous men born in this city? The guide looked at him and said, "Mm, nope, only babies. We know that's what Christmas is telling us, isn't it? Christmas is telling us that God starts small. And in those small things, we're not to belittle it. The people would have never thought that the king of glory was going to show up as a baby in the manger. I like what R.C. Trench, an Irish pastor from the 1800s, had these words to say about God's kingdom. The son of man was born in obscurity and grew up in a despised province. He did not appear in public until his 30th year, then taught only for three years in neighboring villages and occasionally in Jerusalem. He had only a few followers, chiefly among the poor and the unlearned, the not-so-bright, And then falling into the hands of his enemies, he died a shameful death on the cross. Thus was the commencement of the kingdom of God. See, Mark 4.32 says, Yet when planted, the seed, it grows and becomes the largest in all gardens. And so we can see that today, that God's kingdom starts small. Just like the mustard seed plant would turn into a great shrub. Actually, they believe, well, they still have them today, 10 feet, 15 feet tall, that shrub. From that little tiny seed, God had built this huge shrub. So is the kingdom of God that started so small on these early beginnings. And today, there are over 2 billion individuals around the globe that call themselves Christians. All from that little beginning that we read about in God's gospel. So don't despise the small. Don't despise little things that are done with great faith. God can use it. Someone said it this way, Jesus called 12 disciples to make up his inner core of believers, and one of those was even a dropout. He told them to change the world. One day on Pentecost, there were 11 disciples who joined another 109, and they prayed in the upper room. These 120 people prayed for 10 days, and after 10 days, the Holy Spirit came upon them on Pentecost, and he came and filled the disciples, and Peter preached the first 
sermon on Pentecost Sunday, and there they were. They accepted, the word says in Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the church in one day, 3,000. And then verse 47 of Acts 2, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so overnight it grew from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000, and as we said, to 2 billion today. And the kingdom of God, my friends, will not be like you expect, but the kingdom of God is still growing today. And it's exciting to be a part of it. Do not despise... Small beginnings. Thank you. Years ago on a snowy evening in England, a young teenager was trying to find his, the church building, his church. Now this almost sounds like West Prince. Because due to a blinding snowstorm, he couldn't get to his church and he stepped into a little Methodist chapel. And guess what? The pastor couldn't make it that night because of the snowstorm. But there was a little gathering of two or three people who got out in the snowstorm. And an elderly man stood up and he talked about a scripture from Isaiah. That's all he did. He quoted a scripture. And he said, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And at that moment, a little mustard seed was placed in this teenager's heart. For the first time... God began to work in his life. You will know him by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who would later go on to preach the gospel to thousands in the city of London. And he would build a 5,000-seat auditorium many, many years ago in London, and they couldn't contain the crowds as they came to hear him preach. It was that one man who quoted one simple scripture, and the seed of God hit Spurgeon's heart. And history's been changed, and lives have been changed because of it. The kingdom of God, though, is not just about numbers. We realize that the kingdom of God is also grows, praise God, in you. The kingdom of God grows in me. If we've accepted Christ, the kingdom of God is in us, and it is growing. See, Jesus taught the kingdom of God in two ways. He said, remember, we already talked about it, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. But then he talked about the future of the realization of God's kingdom, the, the culmination of it, you saw it in the verse here when it mentioned the harvest. The sickle is going to come, as Joel 3.13 tells us. And there's going to be a great harvest of souls on that great day of the Lord. And so that's the future kingdom. But Jesus taught something else, didn't he? He said, the kingdom of God is in you. And so that kingdom of God that started so small in your heart and life, God is wanting it to grow and mature and come into its fullness. The last thing that we see today that we'll take time just a moment to look at is the fact that in verse 32, God's kingdom offers shelter. We spoke about it for our call to worship. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. God's kingdom wants to provide you shelter today. And so we give him praise and glory, just like the birds find protection in that mustard tree and shrub. God wants you to find protection and shelter 
in his arms. I give God the praise today that we are part of his harvest, and he wants us to realize that. So what do we say as we bring this to a conclusion? You need to be patient. If there's anything we learn from these parables is patience, and a lot of us don't do well with patience. A lot of us don't know what it means anymore to wait on the Lord. As I talked about Pentecost, I was thinking, they prayed for 10 days. We can't get people to pray for half an hour. (laughs) 10 days they prayed straight, waiting for the Holy Spirit. They were waiting upon the Lord. People used to say, we're waiting upon the Lord. We're tearing for the Lord to arrive. So we need to be patient. And the Lord will give us and help us to be patient in our day. We need to do our part. We've seen that in the other parable. We see it again here today. The farmer went out to what? Sow. There will never be a harvest. There'll never be a potato harvest if the farmers don't go out to sow. Right? You got to go sow. But a lot of us, we don't know how it happens. But we praise God later there's a harvest. And so that's that patient. Some of our most patient people in society are farmers. I always say that farmers are some of our greatest people of faith. They plant that seed in the ground in the spring with the faith that there will be a harvest come fall. Jesus is using this as an example for us. The kingdom of God is not yours. The kingdom of God is his, and it's his church, and you are to go and sow the seed, and he brings the growth, and he will bring the harvest. You can't control it. It's not for you to manipulate. It's not for you to domesticate or tame. It's not for you to try to put him in a box. The kingdom of God is not what you expect. It does what it wants to do because it is about him and not us. But we are to do our part. You do the sowing and God will do the... Oh, God will do the growing. Okay. The Greek word that God, Jesus, uses here, that Mark is using, uh, sharing with us, is the word automatic. Uh, I'm not very good with New Testament Greek, but the scholars tell me that. That the word that's actually used here is automatic. Sometimes we'll say naturally. So what it is saying is it is hidden, it is slow, yes, but automatically the harvest will come, the growth will come. So be patient I want to challenge you also, be hopeful. See, a lot of Christians can get discouraged. We can come under despair, and we know that a pandemic definitely can do that to people. But we need to realize today, no matter how small or insignificant we feel, God can do a mighty work through each one of us. And it doesn't matter what age you are. That's all the age groups that are gathered here today. God can do a mighty work through all of us. So we're not to look down on the small and the insignificant because God is wanting to do a great work. So be hopeful, my friends. Be encouraged today. Don't despise small beginnings. Sometimes, you know, we as the church in North America, how many people were out? How many were there right now? How many views? How many people online? All of the stuff that's going on. And that's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God works when there's just a couple people gathered in his name. When there's people at home today listening in on the word of God and they're just there receiving, that's where God is working. 
And so we need to be encouraged today that it is in the small things that we are to be faithful because that's where the kingdom of God is. I love the story of the Hebrides revival. They're islands off the coast of Scotland, I believe. And there was, I'm not going to go into details, but there was one reason why I bring that up to you today. When I studied that revival, it started small. It was a wonderful revival. God did amazing things there. They were meeting in church, so much so, they were meeting in church that when they left the church, the whole town would be outside the church asking, how can I find Jesus? Can you imagine? Can you imagine on a Sunday we would leave the church service and out in the community, the parking lot couldn't hold them all. They're all asking us, how can I find Jesus? That's what happened in that revival. That's what God did. You know how it started? Two elderly sisters, two elderly sisters that met in one sister's home, and they began to pray. You know why they met in one sister's home? Because she was bedridden and couldn't get out of bed, and the other sister was blind. And that's how that great revival started, not with some big bang. It started with two sisters who began to pray and began to believe that God wanted to do something in their day for this generation, their generation. God started that revival with the small. Don't ever belittle small meetings and small things that God is doing. Going to ask the worship team to come. And I end with this quote. And then we're going to say a prayer together up on the screen. God always starts from humble beginnings. Consider Moses. God took a stuttering, washed out, 80-year-old mustard seed and used him to deliver God's people from Egypt. Consider Gideon. Instead of an army of 32,000, God used 300 mustard seeds to defeat an army of over 100,000. Consider David. He was the youngest son in a family of great brothers, the runt of the litter. He was given a job that nobody else wanted. But he was a man after God's own heart, the scripture says. And God took this mustard seed of a man and turned him into a giant killer and one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever known. One day, a little mustard seed of a boy gave Jesus his lunch of five biscuits and two sardines. And Jesus fed a multitude with it. Oh, my friends, I don't know what vision you have of the kingdom of God. I don't know what vision you have right now of what God is supposed to do, but I want to encourage you today that your unrealistic expectations might only lead to more frustrations. What we need to embrace today is his vision, his picture of the kingdom, and allow God to do what he can do, but we have to do our part. We'll continue to do the sowing, and he will do the growing. Would you stand with us? And we're going to say this prayer together. Hopefully you can see it. This is one that many of you know the first four lines, but it is a longer prayer. And I believe it's a prayer of surrender, that we're just giving our expectations, our frustrations to the Lord. And if you could pray this with me, I'll pray it if you can't see it. For those at home that can't see it, 
God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. And all God's people said, amen. May it be so, Lord.